The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogityourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out uplandguncompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch, rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. Joined with me this time is Steve Niehaus. Steve, how you doing, bud? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How about you, Nick? In the dream as always. Let's go ahead and start off with what we start off with always. Tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dog you run. All right. I am tuning in from Rosemont, Minnesota, and I'm probably one of the more unique ones on the podcast, but I'm running with a standard poodle. That A standard poodle, I, you might be the first one. I might be forgetting somebody at some point that I've, I've talked to, but hunting with a standard poodle. They are a hunting dog. You know, I don't know if a a whole lot of people uh, realize that or not outside of the hunting space, but what, what drove you to a standard poodle? Was that intentional or was that your wife chose it or kind of walk me through the story there? (laughs) Uh, Kind of a little bit of everything there. Uh, Initially, when we moved into our our house in Rosemont three, four years ago, uh, we were looking for a dog. And at the time I wasn't doing a lot of upland hunting. And so we, we landed on a Bernadoodle and that was kind of our first dog that we started running with. And then uh, we're like, you know what? We want to get another dog. And we added in a standard poodle is what we had decided. And we were happy there and going. And then uh, I actually had tried training her initially to my first standard poodle. And she was taken a little bit to the hunting and just never really fully came out. And um, kind of a bunch of the mistakes that we can chat about later. But Fast forward a little bit and uh, COVID came about and we were looking at the same breeder where we had got the first standard poodle from and we saw the second one and she was pretty cool looking. We were just going based off color, what everybody says don't do, don't buy a dog based on looks, but we did Um, and we got her and uh, when she came home, I'm like, you know what, I'm really going to nip this and I'm going to train this dog to hunt. It's it's what we have. I don't have room for a fourth dog, so I'm going to make it happen and just kind of started rolling with it from there. So not not intentionally bought a poodle for hunting, but ran with it and and here we are today. So, yeah, you your long journey into the hunting dog world, you had a couple uh, uh stopping points with the Bernadoodle and another standard poodle. 
Talk to me about the Bernadoodle because I actually, once upon a time, I had a roommate that had a Bernese Mountain Dog, and it was actually a pretty neat little dog. They're they're interesting, but obviously in today's day and age, you know, you get these these people that do these little cross breeds, and you can add the word oodle to to anything. Talk to me about like your experience. Was that your first dog ever, or did you have one kind of growing up that that kind of broke you into it? So growing up, I did have um, a couple of dogs myself. I had um, a mutt. I have no idea what was mixed in that dog other than pure crazy. Um, <laughs> called it two-tone because it was multiple colors. And then uh, I did have a golden retriever when I was younger as well, but uh, didn't really do much as other than obedience training with the dog. I, I wasn't into bird hunting when I was young. I didn't grow up as a hunter. Um, and then we did have a lab as well, my wife and I, when we had first got married. And initially I brought that dog home and said, look, honey, look what I bought. And, uh, it was kind of one of those things like, I'm going to train this to be a duck dog. And that just never happened. It was kind of the, the intentions were there, but just never ran with it. And she ended up being a fantastic house dog. But other than that, we've had, um, a golden retriever as well. Um, another golden retriever. And then, uh, my wife's parents actually had the Bernice mountain dog as that was my first experience with the Bernice. And I'm like, wow, this is a cool dog. Just seeing how it interacted with the kids. And it's just this big old gentle giant. And we were like, you know, we, we like the Bernice, but we don't want all that hair in the house and we don't want that big of a dog. And so that's where we kind of landed on the Bernadoux. We're like, well, we can get the lower shedding, the smaller dog, the smartness of the poodle, but a little bit of the quirks of the Bernice and just kind of rolled with it. And that's how we ended up on that dog. How did that play out for you with that, that reasoning? Did the, did the lower shedding actually come, come through? I know that that's, you know, what the doodle breeders kind of claim. And I, you know, you talk to people that own them. Some of them say that that's kind of a, a, a an over-exaggeration. Other people claim that it's actually true. You know, what was your experience? I would say on her, it did carry through for the most part. She does have a tiny little bit, but it's not like a consistent shedding. It's more like uh, you'll get a clump here or there. Uh, still super minimal. I always joke with everybody out of the three dogs in my house, my, my wife and two daughters shed more than the dogs. Um, I find more <laughs> yeah. of their hair through the house, but, uh, the standard poodles definitely don't really shed at all. I, I could, I would have to be hard pressed to find a hair in the house of theirs, but, uh, yeah, the Bernadoodle's got a little bit, but not bad. Um, I do see that a lot though, with the doodle breeds, cause I, I've been around quite a few and, um, some do shed and some don't, it's just a, it's a crap shoot. You don't really know what you're getting when you get them, no matter what the breeder tells you, you got to just raise the dog and you get what you get. Right. Well, let's back up. You said that you didn't grow up with at least active in, in upland hunting. Uh, where, where did your interest and, and desire to get into it? Where, when did that start popping up and what kind of caused it? If you recall. Um, I would say that was probably four or five years ago, maybe that I really started getting interested more in the upland. Um, like I'd mentioned initially with the lab, I had, I had wanted to train her for duck hunting, but even at that time I wasn't actually duck hunting. It was just something like that sounds cool. Um, I've always kind of been a deer hunter since about 14, 13 or 14, I started deer hunting and, um, I always rolled with that. And, and at times I was like, oh, bird hunting would be cool. I had an uncle that did do a little bit of duck and upland hunting, but um, I, I only went with him once and that was only kind of my one-time experience. And I just kind of always had that burning in me where I'm like, I really want to try it. I really want to get into it. And finally, three, four years ago, I went with my brother-in-law and my oldest boy and my nephew, and we went to a game farm and uh, we hired a guide and he was running two labs. He had a pointing lab and then just a flushing lab. And just seeing the dogs work and getting to shoot at the birds, even though I, I didn't hit any of them, I swear, 
Um, but I still, uh, I still had such a good time with it. And when I came home, I told my wife, I'm like, I want to buy a Springer Spaniel. I want a Flushing dog and I want to roll with it. Um, and that never happened. And pieces just kind of came together at some point or another. And every year after that, I just kind of started going a little bit more and I tried to get to the game farm. And then once I got this, this third dog, the standard poodle that I run now, I was like, you know what? I really owe it to myself and to the dog to to make something happen with this. And I would say over the last year and a half is when we we've really gotten into it and really started hitting it hard. It's been a lot of game farms, um, just because where we're at in Minnesota, there is birds, but it's a decent drive. And I, I don't mean to complain because I always hear uh, on your podcast how far you got to drive for birds, but um, it's still two three hours, so it's uh, it's it's still it's still a haul to do it in a day trip. Um, but we've just come to absolutely love it. And I love seeing the dog work and, and similar to most people, uh, the thing that's happened to me is it's not so much the hunt anymore. I just love seeing the dog get out there and I love seeing her find birds and seeing all the pieces connect. And I bring both of my boys with me and I just love seeing them get to get to be a part of it and, and go out and chase birds too. And it's, Deer hunting's taken a backseat to Upland for sure. Uh, I go because everybody else goes, but now with the Upland, it's like, if I have the choice, I'm going to go chase birds every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's similarly, like I, I got into deer hunting and, and I, I really had a moment there for a couple seasons to where I really enjoyed deer hunting and, and especially bow hunting. I got into it and, uh, yeah, man, once you kind of really get hooked on the upland scene and, and the bird dog stuff, it's hard to go sit in a tree stand and, and wait yep. for some deer. You know, I think it would be a little different if I lived in an area that was really conducive to uh, uh, spot and stalk and, and actually moving, being a little bit more active. But even that, it's, it's a lot of waiting around and glassing. And and so uh, the, it, it's kind of a, a common thread in these profiles to where you get a lot of guys that kind of broke into hunting through deer hunting or at least that's just what they did and then once they get the their first bird dogs it's off to the races it's kind of like well I'll, I'll deer hunt to fill up a freezer but to have fun and enjoy my time I'm, I'm gonna take the dog and we're gonna go for a walk yep absolutely and it, it's addicting and I tell everyone I'm like you know what it's it's an addiction and it's probably something that I'll never leave. And now of course I'm already looking at trying to figure out how I can add in the next dog to the mix to have more <laughs> dog power. And it's crazy, but, uh, I love it. And I, like I said, I love seeing the kids go, it's just such a good time. And, and there's no better feeling to walk downstairs on the TV. My kids are watching upland hunting videos. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I must be doing something right. Cause they're not watching those goofy YouTube videos anymore. It's all hunting now. There you go. <laughs> you got, you got them on the right path for sure. Then. Yep. So talk to me about the poodle that you actually run, because I mean, with the Bernadoodle, the first standard poodle, did you change things up? Were you intentional when you started looking to get this third dog, the standard poodle you'll actually run? Did you actually start exploring hunting lines? Talk to me about the process that you went through to actually acquire this poodle. So the third one, I would say, no, we didn't actually go uh, chasing for hunting lions. Um, she was, she's actually from the same breeder out of Iowa where we got the the second standard poodle or the original standard poodle that we have. Um, and it just so happened that she had had a breed from the same, same mom that our first standard poodle had come out of. And we just absolutely loved her. We adore her, her temperament. She's great with the kids, great with other dogs, um, just all around fantastic dog. Um, so we're like, wow, this is the last litter out of this mom. I really want, we really want to get another one out of her. And so that's how we ended up with this other one. And she's a little bit more unique because she's a Merle. So she kind of looks cool. And, um, I don't know if you know much with standard poodles, but that is a, 
that is a trap to get stuck in with standard poodle people. If you tell them that you have a Merle, because they'll tell you that that's not a real poodle. Um, it's not a naturally occurring color and so on and so forth. I, I learned that quickly on with her. And um, I think that's actually part of what drove me into the hunting world too, because I, I kind of got banned from the standard poodle world in a sense for even thinking <laughs> about having a Merle and bringing the poodle into hunting everyone's like wow that's cool man let's hear more that's, that's hilarious because i mean of course in the hunting world you know we're not short on opinions and and we know everything and and you know that there can be a certain uh I don't know, qualification uh, time to, to work your way into certain groups. But I mean, you know, heck, you can look at certain breeds such as, you know, freaking Silver Labs. You know, that's obviously a, a hot button issue. And then depending on who you talk to, even in the short hair realm, it's like black short hairs are, are a huge no-no, according to some people and other people. It's it, it, it's always a, a topic. And, you know, that you're going you're gonna to find that in any facet in life where people come at it from a point of passion. So I try not to... Uh, hold it against anybody, but something like that, it's kind of interesting that you found your way into the hunting community because of the judgment or criticism on, on the other side. And I think a lot of people would say that they kind of, uh, it's the other way around, you know, they come into the hunting community and they might, might be, uh, bastardized to some extent and then they go, well, fine. I don't want to be a part of that community anyway. So it's kind of an interesting perspective you have. Yep. And I've seen the negative side of it too. I mean, there's been plenty of people when I, when I've posted pictures of her when she was younger and I was asking questions on training, they're like, well, your first problem is, is you have a poodle and it's not a hunting <laughs> dog. So get a real dog and then let's talk. But, um, you know, it's, so you see it on both sides of the fence, but yeah. I will say, uh, generally speaking, poodle people are interesting. If you get the opportunity, definitely try talking to some and, uh, <laughs> you'll see. Yeah. Well, let's jump into the hunting dog aspect of this because, again, standard poodles, for, for a little bit of backstory, one of the best retrievers I've seen in the field from just an obedience, cooperation, and, and, and just a dog that really loved to work was a standard poodle. I'm not saying it was the best, but it was definitely one of the best. And, of course, I'm not going to sit here and say that that's the average one. It's just like everything else. You know, I'm sure it depends on the hunting line, the training, all that stuff kind of goes into it. But on average, I would say your your average standard poodle, uh, you know, if they do have the hunting qualities in them, it might be buried a little deep inside of them. So I want to hear when you got this dog, you decided, Hey, this is what I have at my disposal. Let's give it a go. Walk me through your first steps. What were you kind of downloading for information? You said you went on Facebook, you, you know, you met, met the, the de divisive, uh, section of the Upland community online. Uh, where, where did you start wrapping your head around actually moving forward in this and talk to me about those first few steps? Sure. Um, so I'd say that that's probably a trap I fell into as well. Just the wealth of knowledge that's out there with all the books and videos and everything. Um, I, I love where we're at at this point now because we're where we are now. There's just so much information and it's it's available to everyone. Um, but it was kind of dissecting and taking those pieces for me and really learning what was going to work for her and what wasn't. Um, initially bringing her home, one of the very first things I did, her first toy was pretty much a pheasant wing. Um, and it was just taking that and just playing around in the living room, making her chase it, go after it, carry it around and just loving her up as soon as she would pick that thing up. Um, from there, it was, it was kind of some obedience training, some basic stuff. And then 
I found that she really, really liked to retrieve. It didn't take much at all on the retrieval side. Uh, it was just kind of a hallway and throwing a toy down there, and she started bringing it back. Of course, she tried to run away like like most other dogs on their first retrieves. But I I kind of seen it, and I'm like, there there's something here. She really, really likes this. She's she she goes after and she goes hard. And I kind of just kept harnessing that and working with it and. With the training aspect of it, I kind of took the retriever approach with her. So one of the books that I really jumped into um, was a book by Tom Dockin, um, one of his retrieving books, and then also Gundog by Walters. I jumped into that one and didn't realize at first that it was really a pointer book, but I kind of put the pieces more together and ran with it. And then I discovered Standing Stone Kennels, all their videos on YouTube, and I really started watching a bunch of that and pulling it together. And as I kept searching and searching, so how do you train a standard poodle how to hunt? And obviously there's not a lot out there. It just leads you to all the other normal hunt training and rolling with that. But one person that I came across that was helpful and kind of tuned me a little bit is um, Rich Louder. I don't know if you ever heard that name before, but uh, Rich is really well known in the country for his hunting poodles. If you search him, he's basically one of the very, very few breeders that actually breeds hunting standard poodles um i don't you probably seen on uh duck dynasty when Sai had a poodle on there as a kind of like a joke for hunting doves that was a poodle out of uh louder creek kennels and so i i actually reached out to him kind of a shot in the wind i'm like this guy's gonna be way too busy he's never gonna have time to talk to me but uh he called me and we talked for probably almost two hours we sat and chatted and he just gave me a whole bunch of information on poodles and kind of their temperament and and a whole bunch of stuff that I really didn't know and and kind of learning through that and the books and everything that I was doing I just really started putting pieces together and lots of mistakes along the way but the the basis around it was really that retrieve drive that she had she just absolutely loved it so as long as I tried to kind of bring all of it back to that it seemed like the pieces just started clicking and she started taking it Mm. Yeah. And I mean, so much of that is reflective over, I mean, like you said, you know, you, you picked up Walter's gun dog book, which is really a pointing dog book, but you still found a lot of information that applied to what you were trying to do. And that, that's a message obviously that, that is steeped in this podcast to where it's like, no matter which method or source that you go to, the principles of dog training remain the principles of dog training. It's just how you go about doing it. And so, you know, rewinding back to where your first initial step wasn't sit or or place or fetch it was let's just build drive right let's just build drive with the pheasant wing let's see let, let let's build that chase in the hallway with the toy or sock or what or what have you and really build that that fun to to work and use their nose and and just get them get them bought in and then go into obedience. You know, I tell everybody like, yeah, you can start obedience from day one. You know, you can start shaping that, building it into, into your routine. But like, it's different than what I think a lot of people picture in obedience is like, no, slow down. Like we're, we're going to start structuring what they, they're able to do. We're going to start, you know, putting boundaries on the, these actions. But first, especially in a dog that doesn't come from hunting lines and you're, you're trying to figure this out as you go along. I tell everybody like you, you can do a lot worse than just, focusing on building drive, build that monster first. And we can, we can put some obedience and control on them later, but especially if you don't know what you have genetically start off with building the drive, the desire first. 
Yep. I a hundred percent agree. And initially when I was going about it, that was uh, not even a thought in my mind, but looking back, I mean, that was definitely the step for her was just getting that drive. Like you said, cause she, she didn't have that hunting background. She came from a companionship breeder, just meant to lounge around the house and, and just be a good dog. And she does all that too. But when I bring her outside, she turns it up. I have a lot of people that say that constantly to me. They're like, I can't believe this is the same dog. I come to your house and inside she's just so calm, so mellow, just nothing to her, just lays around, wants to be pet. And then you bring her outside and she's just a little maniac out in the field. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of listeners can uh, can relate to that. Some people even have the monster inside the house, but that, that yep. off switch, man, that goes a long way to, to your sanity. It goes a long way to uh, getting future dogs uh, past the wife later on in, in that situation is if you have some dogs that are really well kept inside the house, then it's a lot easier to to get that, that nod of approval from her. We don't have to go too deep in, into this but I would like to hear some of the highlights you know when you when we talk about find a resource mentor whatever you want to call it uh, that can go a bunch of different ways so when you reached out to to Rich Louder I'm curious like what was some of the main takeaways that you you learned from just being able to to pick his ear a little bit for a couple of hours where you know are there some high high level notes that that you know come to mind when you think back on that yeah, I would say one of the biggest things that I took away from him that I that I didn't really realize as I was trying to just do the retriever training and, and obviously retriever, the first thing that comes to mind is a lab. And um, when I was trying to run those, he's like, now be careful with that, because his comment on that, not his exact words, is pretty much poodles are really damn smart. And they're going to find a way to do it their way with their style. And they're going to get bored because they pick up on stuff. It's not so much with a poodle that you have to beat it into them and really, really train it. It's more showing them how to do it. And kind of that concept of showing them what I wanted and how to do it. That's when things kind of really started clicking. Like it wasn't just, let's keep doing all these repetitions and keep hammering a dead horse here. It was, it was just getting out, doing it, but constantly trying to keep it fun. And I, I'm sure that carries over to a lot of other hunting breeds too. But with her, I really had to find ways to to keep it fun. And I really had to show her why I wanted her to do it because otherwise she'd just look at me and be like, that makes no sense why I'm going to run into this cattail slew. Why the heck would I do that when I can stand out here? And so just kind of teaching her and showing her the fun that she was going to have if she did actually go in and do that stuff. And that was kind of my big takeaway from him was just really don't follow the routes of the standard repetition, 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 just really mix it up and and make it fun for her. Yeah. There are some breeds that, that are built for that, that really kind of flourish in, in approaches such as that to where just high repetitions, right? High reps. And, 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 and there are some such as you're describing that just get more creative, right? Like it, it, more intentionality, less reps goes, goes a lot further with certain breeds. And, and even, it's not even fair to say certain breeds, but certain dogs within different breeds, like every line is different. So that's when we talk about getting to know your dog, that's, that's part of it to where, you know, just figure out the best way that, that it, they learn and how they interpret what you're trying to get them to do. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot to unpack there, but moving on, on in your story, I want to know you're brand new to Upland hunting. You're training a, a standard poodle to Upland hunt uh, of which you're unfamiliar with the dog training as well as the actual Upland hunting. How did you start kind of downloading the information to go wild bird Upland hunting so that then you could make that make sense to your dog? 
Um, honestly, it was just a lot of YouTube videos. And at, at one point in the training where where I kind of became really frustrated was with the bird, with getting birds and actually getting her on birds. And I think one of the big turning points for me was I, I met a guy named Jason out of a horse and hunt club up here in uh, Prior Lake, Minnesota. And I was able to go meet up with him and do some training with the birds. Um, Cause that was kind of my biggest challenge was getting birds for her to actually learn the game. And just meeting with him, I think I met with him five, maybe four or five times and seeing his perspective and take on her with birds was kind of like one of the really big drivers. Cause I, I did run into a point where I was training with her and I'm like, you know what, this is ridiculous. This dog doesn't have it. She just, she just wants to play fetch. She doesn't get it. The pieces aren't coming together. And I was just laying in bed and kept searching and searching and everybody's like more birds, more birds, more birds. And I'm like, well, where do I get these birds from? Cause it's just a challenge. I live in town. And so I met up with Jason. I was, I was lucky. He was willing to work with me kind of on the side outside of their normal training program. And that was really kind of that dividing force that really brought it out in her once she started getting on the birds and also hearing from somebody that is a pro trainer too, that, you know what, she is doing pretty good and she is coming along. Cause I'm being on the negative side of the fence, seeing her do things. I'm like, no, this, this isn't going to work. This isn't for her. And then to hear him say, you know what, you might have a hunting dog here. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and just having that person really push it along was a, was that driving force to get me through a lot of it. And that's, that's a very good point when you're first starting out in this, especially on your first dog, you, d you don't know what you don't know. And so like, if you're constantly comparing your, your hunting dog and their development to what you see on YouTube or social media or, or the internet, it's very easy to get discouraged. It's very easy to assume that you're doing something wrong or you're behind the schedule or you, or, or what have you, but it's completely eye opening when you actually go in person to, to a place. This is why, you know, I tell everybody NAVDA chapters are a great resource because then you actually get to see those handlers and those people with their dogs. And you realize like, I'm not that far off from them, uh, you know, or, or maybe I'm right on track or maybe just that one slight word of encouragement from somebody that's been there, done that before, uh, is really just enough gas to really fire you back up and, and get you back on track. Yep. And that was exactly it with him. Um, you know, that's the only really pro trainer resource that I used. I didn't send her off anywhere or anything else. I, d I did it all on my own as, as most people did on your podcast. Um, but just having that, that was huge. I, I think if I wouldn't have connected with him, I don't know that I'd be sitting here interviewing with you today. Um, cause I, I probably would have honestly given up just with not being able to get birds and just having that feedback, but now knowing it and seeing it, I'm ready to go for the next one. I know what to expect. I, I know kind of my trajectory and the path that I'll take to kind of make that all happen. Um, but yeah, I, I owe a lot to him for sure for getting me down that path. Well, I know that the, there's a lot, there's a lot more to explore, at, you know, at this point with, where you're kind of going, but I do want to hit fast forward a little bit and talk about where you're at now, because it is hunting season. You know, we're, we're recording this at some point in, you know, mid December. I want to hear how the results have been this hunting season. Have you been getting out? Have, how, how's the dog been? You know, everything that you've worked in the off season, have you actually seen it in action and in, in real time on some birds this year? 
Yep, we've been out. Uh, we've been out a lot this year. Um, I would say October was started out a little bit slow, just because we were doing a little bit more deer hunting and the youth deer hunt. We did that, and we had one grouse hunt that she unfortunately didn't get to go on. Um, and then once November hit, we did the rifle opener for deer, and then after that, it was kind of game on for birds. And so we started, uh, I kind of started mixing it up a lot with her, um, where I would go to a game farm one weekend. And then the next weekend I would go to try on wild birds. And in my mind, I, I was doing that because I didn't want to just keep bringing her to spots and her not getting birds, um, in Minnesota here and probably most other places, they start to get really pressured. They get the, the birds get to be a lot more knowledgeable and they're harder to come across and get, um, and so I wanted to make sure I was still getting her on birds. So she still knew that game. Um, I would say though, she's been on a lot of birds this year and the training, I, every time we go out, I see it coming through a little bit better and better. I see her continuing to work the fields better, figuring it out. And my absolute favorite spot with her is once that bird is up, she just marks them birds and she is a retrieving beast. Some of the cripples that she has went after and brought back to me. Um, some of the ones that I'm like, that bird's gone. She's never going to find that. I just let her go and do her thing just to see what happens. And she's surprised me more times than not coming back all happy with the bird in her mouth. Mm. Yeah, I love that feeling. That's one of my favorite ones to where you, when you think you can kiss that bird goodbye and, but, but you sit there and you give your dogs a chance to, to, you know, explore and look, uh, how, how so many times it just happens that they bring the bird back to hand. It's just like a bird that you mentally checked out on. You thought it was long gone. It's now in your hands. Like, I just love that feeling. That's one of the best feelings in the world is, is, you know, that bird is back in my hand directly because of that dog. Because if I go looking for that bird, there's no way in heck I'm going to find that because I've found some birds or, or the dogs have found some birds, you know, way further than I could have ever imagined that bird actually flying after I hit it. Yeah. And I know on the game farms, um, some people I know kind of, they're like, Oh, that's cheating. That's not hunting. But I, you know what, every single time I went to the game farm, I know it's nothing like wild birds. That's why I get out for the wild birds too. But there is not a chance I could go to a game farm and find these birds on my own without her. So I, I know she's still doing her thing. She's finding them. And when she finds them half the time, I'm like, I don't even see this bird. Cause one thing with her, that's unique uh, a lot of times people say a, a poodle that does hunt is more of a flusher. She's kind of real timid and doesn't really hit a hard flush. She's a, I kind of call it a staunch point almost. She's stiff tailed when she's running through the field and then she finds a bird and she kind of locks up, but her tail's going like crazy and she'll kind of back up, step forward a bit and kind of watch them. So I know she's got a bird there and I basically go in and flush them at that point. So she's kind of still learning what she wants to be when she grows up, but Without that, I would never find them because when that pheasant's laying tight down in that cover, you can't see them. Yeah. If they hold, they'll just let you walk right on by. Yep. Yeah. So I, I got a million questions, but let, let's just go ahead and jump into the questions that I ask everybody on these profiles. The first of which is I want to hear a lesson, a mistake that you made in training the, this dog. Like you said, there's been a number of them, which is the case for everybody starting out, especially their first dog. What's the first one that kind of comes to mind that weighs the heaviest on you that after you did it and, and you realized it was a mistake, you were like, I I'm never doing that one again. Um, I would say one of the bigger kind of, I don't know if it's a direct mistake, but the training process itself would be my level of consistency with the training. I would jump in and kind of start doing things for a couple of weeks and then kind of fall off because I'd feel like things weren't working and I just didn't have confident enough confidence in the dog or I would get busy with the kids with sports and just kind of 
essentially restarting the process over and over and over again um, was was probably one of my biggest flaws. And then the other thing with the the training where I really didn't work it hard enough initially was just exposure to actual hunting places. So one of her challenges was being comfortable going out in cover and actually working through some of that heavier brush that was over her head or some of the stuff that was maybe poking her a little bit and getting her comfortable with rolling with that stuff. I'd say I was kind of my bigger mistakes the retrieve like i said that was that was solid right from the get-go she just had that and she loved it the obedience stuff was pretty easy as far as you know here and sit and stay and all the other stuff that goes with the normal house training and yard work that stuff all came pretty natural to her she picked up quick but on the hunting aspect of it it was just simply not getting her out enough and being consistent enough with what she was really supposed to be doing out there yeah trusting the process that's that's a very common hurdle and and i mean something that like even somebody that's done it a few times you can find yourself in that trap to where I, I've seen and I've even been there myself to where it's like you, you'll go out and and you just keep doing the same thing over and over again because you you you're not gonna go and take that next step and it's just like oh well the dog's doing this I know it can do this I want to just really get good at this and then it's like yeah but at some point you got to take that next step and trust everything you've done has prepared them for that next step uh, and then I've yeah it's like some people just kind of get caught in that groundhog day loop feature of just training and it's just like all they're doing is just working on stuff that they know their dog can handle instead of kind of taking that next step forward and progressing yep and kind of where i'm at on that next step that i that I lapsed on a lot and and i did it thinking because she was too soft and i didn't want to wreck anything is the force fetch side of it um so i've actually been listening to your podcasts on that and, and looking through a few resources and we started that process because she is a great retriever she brings them back but she has a tendency to, you know, drop the bird by my feet or drop the bird maybe two, three feet away from me. And, and there's been a couple of times where some of these cripples that still have a lot of life in them, they'll jump right back up and take off running. And then I got to send her again to go after them. And uh, so I just, not the end of the world, not a problem. I'm really happy where she's at, but I just want to kind of refine that process over the winter and try to see if we can get to that next level where she's actually, you know, delivering straight to my hand and, and bringing that on. Absolutely. Well, you kind of steered into the to the next question perfectly. You said that you're listening to to the Force Fetch series and and stuff like that. As as you've listened to the podcast over the years, what what's what's you know some of your favorite episodes, the topics or guests that really stand out to you that kind of helped you in some kind of way? Um, I'd say I really love the the profiles. Um, I just love hearing everyone's backgrounds and where they're coming from, and hearing that I'm not the only guy out there making the mistakes. Uh, as far as like standard episodes, I, I really like the force fetch one right now. Um, I, I really enjoyed the Pine Ridge ones with Steven, was it Steven Faust and uh, Jerry? Uh, I kind of have a recent obsession with English setters, so I'd loved listening to those podcasts. Um, and then I also just listened, uh, started listening to the ones with, um, is it Paint River? Is that uh, oh, Kyle Kevin? Warren? Kyle, yeah. yes, Kyle Warren. Yep, those are cool episodes too. Uh, I really like his take on. Uh, and I never looked at it from this perspective, but his take on when he goes into a cover, if he gets a bird, how he kind of works his way back out of there, then isn't, doesn't just go in and clear it out and, and get his daily limit. So it's, it's kind of, that's an interesting topic too. That could be a whole nother conversation, but yeah. Um, yeah. Cool episode though. Yeah. Kyle, Kyle's a great resource to kind of learn from. Cause I mean, 
you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that spends more time in the woods than Kyle. And, and that's something that, you know, I have been in the woods with him to where he shoots the bird. And again, he's, he starts working his way back to, uh, to the truck because you know mission accomplished but also you can do that when you live in a bird rich environment and you have plenty of covers you know it's uh it's it's just kind of depends on your style of hunting as well as where you are and, and and the purpose of it but i love the the people or i at least appreciate the people that have those self-imposed restrictions uh with with the bigger picture in mind the long-term goal of of not shooting out a cover uh, and his perspective of just being honest about like, there's no way he's the only one going into those covers. Other people are coming behind you. So just because you take one bird, that doesn't mean that there's not three, four or five birds getting taken out of that cover over the course of, you know, a couple days. So, uh, yeah, that's a, I really appreciate about his, his standpoint on that as well. Yeah. And the grouse episodes, I think have been getting me more. I've, I've primarily pheasant hunted with the upland, but I realized how fun grouse are. And honestly, I live in one of the best States for grouse hunting. So it's kind of a shame if I don't start hunting them a little bit more. Oh man. Especially <laughs> this year, Minnesota was something, uh, it was freaky this year. There were just freaking birds yep. everywhere. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're living in Minnesota, I know that, I know that they have their little, you know, the, the pheasant population is there. I know that there's other opportunities besides rough grouse, but like, when you live in Minnesota, you know, you got, you got to appreciate the rough grouse on, at least on some level. Yep. Absolutely. We got Willow peeking in the background there. Actually, I have a pheasant feather on my windowsill that she's <laughs> smelling. She's like, is it go time? Yep. She, she heard you mention <laughs> pheasant. She's over there yep. sniffing your uh, tail fan. <laughs> well, man, uh, I appreciate you reaching out. You know, I, I always love kind of talking to people that go about this a different way and, and different dogs. And, and it just kind of shows, uh, that if you want to go about this in a, in a not atypical way or fashion, you, you can do it. It's not like you, you've really kind of done anything out of the norm as far, as far as training or preparation, but the the breed that you do it with obviously makes you unique, unique and, and just, I love the people that like, hey, I want to give this a shot and they, ju- they just figure out a way to do it and, they, and then they just go and, and do it and have fun with their dogs. Yep, absolutely. Anything's possible if you're willing to do it. And as long as your dog's willing to try some of it, you can certainly run with it for sure. Perfect. Awesome. Well, we'll leave it there, man. I appreciate you stopping by and making time for us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.